another episode of With Sonar. I'm your host, Tanner D. Hart, joined alongside Tony Mulvey, who is calling in today. I am in the studio solo, which is perfectly fine. But Tony, you're in Sunnyside, not California, but Sunnyside, Florida. How are you? You know, I can't really complain. Uh, I mean, it's sunny and 80 degrees outside. Uh, I mean, I have to be inside right now. Uh, little interstate noise, but... Uh, Prefer to be outside for sure, but it sounds a whole lot better uh, than up there in Chattanooga where it's overcast and cool. Yes, must be nice, must be nice. Well, we hope you enjoy your vacation. I appreciate you taking some time to, to call in here. Tony, we've got a lot to unravel recently that's come out over the last few days. The first thing I want to start out with is the CPI report that came out yesterday morning. What, what are your thoughts on, on what happened? Uh, I mean... It, it's not really a surprise. I mean, to see an increase once again, when you think about the CPI, right, it takes in all these these factors, right? Gasoline, food prices, things like that. You've seen January, you really saw gasoline prices back on the rise. So those energy prices, uh, you saw uh, food prices continue to inch higher. So I mean, again, not really a surprise to see this number tick up. I think the good sign, what you saw in in recent economic uh, news is really retail sales that came out today, right? Exceeding expectations by what? They, they came in at 3%. Expectations were around that one and a half sub, between one and a half and 2%. So, I mean, you're talking well above the rate of inflation that we saw in uh, January. So, obviously, that's a positive sign if you're, if you're looking for one uh, overall. But really, to see CPI move the way it did, uh, not not too much of a surprise to see that upward movement. Yeah, one thing that really surprised me about the CPI report that I think we need to see get under control for one of being unconcerned about the economical is, is shelter. Shelter continues to increase at about a 0.7 to 0.8, you know, month over and up percentage. And we, we have not seen that decline in, in quite a while. Yeah, I was watching the local news here in Florida or in Tampa. And I mean, it was like average rents, like $1,900. Uh, Tampa is one of the areas in particular that's seen rents like rise the fastest. I think that's a trend you're seeing uh, is rising rents. I know my rent in Chattanooga went up like 36% year over year. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely, and that's without having to move. I mean, that's the same apartment. So I think that is a concerning trend is seeing that, that shelter, number continue to rise. I mean, food's the other one, right? I mean, that's one that kind of gets excluded when you talk about like core inflation and things like that, right? Core meaning X energy and X food. Well, guess what? Those are two of the most important things that we ha use on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Hard to go anywhere if you have no electricity or no gas. Uh, and then obviously the food aspect, you have to have food to survive. Shelter being that third kind of pillar of survival, right? And you're seeing increases across the board in those. I think February, you've seen gas prices and energy prices kind of slow down, come down a little. I mean, it's not been like this rapid decline. I know you and Donnie have talked about diesel prices the past few days and carrier updates. But I mean, overall, when you're thinking about it, everything that's like this, the need for living has gone up. Uh, I mean, things like used car prices, right, are coming down or like there's just these impacts that maybe aren't so important to the day to day life that are impacting the CPI, whereas some of those day to day uh, underlying numbers are uh, 
concerning and the ones that you really need to see to be like, okay, inflation's not having as big of an impact on the consumer as it as it currently is. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, we, Tony, you and I have talked about this before. It'd be okay if people were able to service that debt just fine. And we can go ahead and pull up the first chart that we have, which overlies that, that CPI number on top of revolving credit. But I mean, consumers are putting everything on credit card. I have personally, I know, I know you've done the same thing. I mean, are we going to continue to see this credit card utilization rise? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a trend you're going to see. Uh, and don't, I don't really think there's, I mean, it was something I was looking at because uh, I look at Bank of America's credit cards or total card spending, right? So debit, credit, one of the biggest banks. And one of the interesting trends I've noticed, and it kind of got talked about a little in this report, is there's been this acceleration in credit card spending, uh, but debit card spending, so that, that I mean, you can basically call it cash, right? I mean, it's money that's in your account, uh, whereas credit, you're taking out a loan at 20-something percent now. I mean, so I think that's the interesting trend is that debit card spending's come down. I think it's up like 1.8% year over year, whereas credit card spending's up like 5.1%. So it's, it's kind of this give and take that you're seeing. And it's like, well, you're seeing growth in credit card spending, you're seeing debit card spending slow its growth. It kind of shows that the consumer is going to get squeezed at some point. It's just a matter of when. And then we've talked about the interest rate, right? And you see the rate hikes uh, at the Fed and you see an inflation report uh, like the one we got yesterday. And it doesn't seem like there's going to be any slowdown in rate hikes, which just makes the cost of servicing that debt more expensive. And I think that's the, the most concerning part moving forward i mean if you look at the average credit card rate it's like up or over 20 percent now so i mean you're talking it was 15 this time last year so really a, a pretty big impact uh for those that have added to their balance uh that outstanding balance for sure absolutely and we can go ahead and look at our next chart which is trending in the opposite direction tony which is interesting because if people are putting more money on credit cards they're spending money, they're out there. That means there's demand, but that hasn't necessarily translated to the truckload market. Looking at this next chart, we're looking at uh, outbound tender rejection rate over the national truckload index. And this chart is turning the complete opposite direction of our first one. So uh, how, how is that correlating to the truckload market? Yeah. So, I mean, really, you have to think about it. The freight, there's really no reason to get out of contracts. And I mean, you're seeing those impacts with the rejection rate, right? At 3.4%. Uh, I mean, it's it's as low as I've seen it outside of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, 2019 was rough in trucking and that rejection index was four, between four and 5% for much of the year. We're talking 3.4%. So outside of the shutdowns of the pandemic, the lows, I mean, demand on the contract side seems to be holding up wet. I mean, better than probably expected. Uh, but I mean, ultimately, you see this index and the trends you see are there's just too many trucks on the road. There's too much capacity in the market. And you have to see kind of this reversal and this exponential growth that we've seen in the past two years. I mean, I think we talked about it like last February was the biggest the single highest month increase in new fleets uh, ever, or at least in the past like five years. So, I mean, 
you're going to have to see some churn on the capacity front, which is a very hard metric to measure uh, because really fleet counts, things like that from the FFCSA, they're really self-reported and tractor counts. I mean, they fill those out every two years. Do they let their insurance lapse and keep their MC number active? Like there's these kind of nuances to, to understanding these trends in, in these fleet counts. Uh, that's why the rejection index is so helpful because it kind of gives you an idea of, hey, is there enough capacity to service the freight? If there isn't, you'll see that go up. And right now clearly shows that we're kind of oversupplied in the market. And guess what? It drives rates down along with it. Absolutely does. And I mean, I think last week we talked about the National Truckload Index being at 250. It's a week later. We're now down to 245. It, it seems like there's this never ending trend of just trending lower. It's going to be it's going to become even more difficult for for, for truckers that are out there that are trying to operate in the spot market. Um, like you mentioned, there's just an oversupply of capacity. One thing kind of going back to what you said about the the overall fleets that are in the market and the MC numbers that are registered. There's, we can't really get a true reading on that metric because of how many people are out there. You know, there's scammers out there. There's people that are double brokering loads, stealing freight. They can just go out there and register an MC number for like a few dollars. Yeah, I think it's like 150, 200 bucks. I mean, it, it's really not. That's where this like barrier to entry into the market so low, and why you see these such momentum, momentous swings in capacity uh, as the cycle. Because I mean, ultimately. What do you have to have to start a trucking fleet? An MC number, you have to have insurance, and you have to have a truck, right? And the driver, but a lot of the times what you see is these smaller fleets, it's owner operators entering the market. So they are the driver, they own the truck, or they're leasing the truck. So they're making payments on the truck. So they don't have to come up with the 110, 120 plus thousand dollars. They can also go buy used equipment at the I would say before it was like 50,000, that five-year-old truck. Well, now it's like 75,000, but still, I mean, like those investments are, are relatively small when you think about starting a company overall. I mean, it's pretty easy. And I think that's why you see these wild swings in, in the rejection rate when the market gets hot and then when it cools off. And it's, it's just a matter of time before we do see those entrants that came into the market some of them will exit those that say maybe entered the market in 2020 uh, 2021 when the market was the hottest and really only were exposed to the spot market those that don't understand their operating costs they don't understand their operating ratio and what that actually means and how to calculate it and things like that to ultimately stay profitable but not even just stay profitable stay in business because i mean we say it all the time and we had a conversation earlier this week uh, Tanner, kind of talking about like there's shippers out there that have these savings that they could unlock with the flip of a switch right now, but they're not willing to necessarily do that all the time. But it's also like they don't want to play in the spot market and they're going to go to a contracted carrier, even if it costs them a few more cents on one side. But ultimately, cents will make or break you, right? A couple, I think we talked what was it, like 10 cents a mile is the difference in saving $7.5 million. I mean, it's a big, those pennies per mile add up over the course of a full year. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that's these carriers that came in really need to understand that operating cost. And if they can limit that exposure to the spot market, it's the best thing you could do in this environment. And then 
I mean, ultimately, when the market does turn around, you're kind of positioned well because you've weathered the storm. And now you can kind of take advantage on the other side as we emerge uh, whenever that may be. I mean, obviously, management commentary around the publicly traded carriers thinks the second half is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I agree with you. And one thing from a shipper sentiment that I'm kind of starting to hear is that shippers are starting to ask for longer term contracts. The last two and a half years, we've been talking about these little short cycle bids, right? Three months, 12 weeks, six months. And now it seems because rates have come so far down, they're now asking for those 12 months. Or even I heard somebody mention a two-year contracted rate RFP. And I just I don't see how that holds up when the market flips for these shippers. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. I think, I, I mean, I really think this annual bid cycle, I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked about it with I mean, everybody kind of in the industry, it's like, it's, it feels like you're making the same mistake that you got yourself into when the market heated up, right? And, and this has been the trend forever, right? They want the annual RFP because it makes it easy to budget, right? That's the key. And I mean, their biggest worry at the, as a shipper is don't blow our transportation budget up. Uh, We can take a little loss, but we can't be down 20, 30, 40% in it or overpay by that much but i think when you start seeing these like annual bid cycles it's if you're trying to lock in the rate now like for a year i mean like you mentioned even two years it's like this market's going to change very drastically at some point within these next two years like you're going to end up you may lock in the rate now but end up paying more in the future or your your service levels are just going to fade i mean you're failures or service failures are going to skyrocket. And ultimately, what does a shipper really want from its transportation department? It's they want the truck to arrive on time. They want to know they're paying a relatively fair rate. I mean, that fair being kind of this, it kind of depends on what they're willing to pay over a market or under a market or what their actual needs are in terms of rates. But really, they need the truck to arrive. They need it to deliver on time. And they want to know that they're paying a rate that's comparable to what others in the market are paying without ultimately having their budget uh, just crumble underneath them. And I think if you lock in that annual RFP, you're kind of at risk uh, when the market does turn. But I mean, I think that's kind of the trend that we're seeing kind of go back. And if you, I mean, you mentioned it, we've seen all these six, three, six nine month like mini bids it's like that should smooth some of the volatility limit those service failures you would think that's what you would want uh but i get their concern right is well if we lock it in now and rates go up well maybe we can limit the service failures and pay lower rates but it's kind of a a risk versus reward uh, that they have to be willing to swallow Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Let's kind of switch gears here. Let's bring up this next chart. Tony, one thing I found interesting, we talked about it last week with Chinese New Year, is the inbound ocean shipping index, right? So this is basically as far upstream as you can possibly get when looking at new order volume coming into the United States. Um, Obviously, we've all known, we've taken a close look at this. This has dropped dramatically since May, but the last couple of weeks here, we've had this huge drop off from Chinese New Year. Honestly, in my opinion, I think it has to do a little bit more with just, again, those shippers not backfilling that inventory, worried about a down cycle in the economy. Um, but there was no ordering pre-Chinese New Year like we've seen in years past. 
I mean, what does this lead to in the far as the next two or three months? I mean, obviously, Flynn means to import levels at the ports here in the U.S. will be depressed. Uh, and then what's that lead to, right? Once it comes through the ports, it's got to go a truck to somewhere, right? Warehouse, or it's going to go on the rails and then get moved from there to a warehouse or, or the like. So, I mean, it just means less demand domestically. Now, that timeline can vary. I mean, it's not, there's no clear cut, like perfect, hey, we saw this drop, we're going to see it in, in six weeks, uh, like there used to be, just because some of the changes that we've seen around the ports, right? You used to be able to see, hey, things were leaving China, destined for LA. Well, when we saw IOTI or IOSI, in this case, pick up in China, well, you knew, you, you kind of could forecast that, hey, we're going to see OTVI out of LA or Ontario and Southern California kind of pick up steam. And now it's not as clear cut and dry uh, just because you've seen ports like Houston and I mean, Baltimore and New York, New Jersey, Savannah, Charleston, all pick up Jacksonville, pick up a little that excess freight. Uh, so take some market share on the port side, but ultimately it means less demand domestically. So it, it's just a matter of where where that really rears its head. Uh, I think this interesting part looking at that index, right? Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year is really a, a two-week thing. And then there's some ramp-up time to get shipments out. And like you said, we didn't really see a pull forward. So a little bit there, end of, end of the year, right? Really nothing in January that would pull, like garner any attention. Then we saw the steep drop-off. And then we've come back to levels that are half of what we were pre-Lunar New Year. And we're now, what, halfway through February? Lunar New Year started on January 22nd. So, I mean, we're almost a month past that. Uh, and you're just not seeing bookings come back in any, any real strength that would signal, hey, there's a lot of demand coming. Yeah, and it was it's been fine since May, right? Because it's it's kind of slowly been dropping and there was, you know, a hundred boats that were waiting at the port of LA. And so that downstream, it took a while to unload those, so there was still enough volume. Well, nowadays that's cleared out. There are zero boats waiting at the port of Long Beach in LA. So as soon as these boats from this dramatic drop-off after Chinese New Year arrive, I mean, that's gonna hit the truckload market almost instantly. Yeah, it's, it's going to move a lot quicker than it, it was. Uh, I think one of the interesting things is, is are we going to see the shift from the East Coast back to the West Coast, right? If you think the, the West Coast has the infrastructure built out, and I think that's what made it so, or makes it so attractive overall, right? Port of LA, Long Beach, like it's the heartbeat of the U.S. freight economy. New York, New Jersey is a very big port. I think it's second behind those two, those two combined are by far and away the largest, but New York, New Jersey pulls above its weight class too. But do ports like Houston and Savannah that are getting all this investment that that infrastructure is not necessarily built out completely yet to, to rival what you would see in a port of New York, New Jersey, in a port of LA, port of Long Beach, like do they end up losing some share, at least here in the short term, right? Until that infrastructure is really built out because ultimately the time constraints are, are really gone. Uh, the time sensitivity of freight's really largely gone is probably the better way to put that. But you can get it into LA, Long Beach in what, 
15, 20 days, and you're really not going to have to wait for it to be unloaded. Uh, whereas you're going to talk 20 plus days to sail uh, from China to the East Coast. So, I mean, ultimately, it's going to, it works itself out kind of the same way. But I think that's going to be the interesting trend is do LA, Long Beach kind of get back some of that market share that they may have lost over the past two years? Yeah, absolutely. And going to our last chart, speaking of LA and, and Long Beach here, I was kind of looking, comparing some truckload rates against intermodal rates. Are they still competitive? Are they close? You know, usually historically, rail rates are a lot cheaper than truckload rates, right? A lot less convenient. There's a way more touch points involved. It's, it's not as safe. It takes a lot longer. Um, but interestingly enough, I was looking at rates out of Los Angeles and noticed that from Los Angeles to Miami, you're talking cross country, right? Basically two, 3,000 miles. Um, the, the price for a spot market truckload has dropped below the price for a rail container. I mean, that's, you don't see that very often, right? Because I mean, intermodal, I mean, if you think about it, it's typically in that 10 to 20% discount to the truckload market. Uh, and you take that discount with giving up some service metrics, right? It takes a little longer. There's the more touch points, like you mentioned. Uh, so, I mean, this makes the truckload market more attractive. I mean, if you had, a, in comparison, right? I mean, obviously, a truck from LA to Miami is going to take a long time to get there, but so is a train. Uh, so, ultimately, you're just giving up uh, the service and... Really, I mean, the one kind of difference in the two markets, right? The spot market on the intermodal side and the railroad side is very limited. I mean, you look at rejections on the intermodal side out of LA, I think they're 0.4%, right? So you're talking less than one out of every hundred loads. So typically they're not turning away any freight. The rails aren't. Uh, so, I mean, the spot market's very limited. It's very small compared to the truckload market. So it's nice to see the difference in rates, but ultimately, how much freight actually moves on the spot market on the rail side is very limited to what we would see on the truckload. But I mean, to see that, uh, it just, to me, that's a signal to shippers like, hey, maybe we can take advantage of a truckload market right now, get better service, right? It's going to move a little faster and pay less. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, great for the railroads for holding their rate. I mean, rates have actually gone up since the beginning of the year out of L out of LAX and Long Beach for rail. So I mean, good good for them. I mean, I guess they've had a surge in demand. Uh, and the thing that's interesting about the truckload portion is that, I mean, Florida's historically dry. So you usually have to pay a premium on the spot market to get a driver to go all the way there because they have to deadhead all the way back up to almost like southern Georgia or Jacksonville to find something else. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the one problem with covering freight to into Florida is you're paying on the front end for that carrier to get out of Florida with both that rate in is going to pay for both the rate in, or the drive in and the deadhead out. So, I mean, really, it's I guess the big one is like it's not really a surprise. I mean, I do think the rails uh, I haven't looked at the O-Rail data recently. I mean, I, I know they've it's probably held up a little better than OTVI. And it's kind of expected, right? Again, time sensitivity coming off the holidays, right? Railroads can kind of take this kind of advantage of, hey, we don't have to move this freight at one time. We'll take the, the cheaper rates traditionally. And ultimately, 
they can kind of weather the storm with demand, whereas the truckload side, hey, we offer better service, but we need to, our rates are going to be slightly more expensive. Well, it kind of gives the, the shipper, shipper has a little more optionality now with uh, freight, obviously networks not being so congested like they were, uh, that they can take the time sensitive and, and the cost into account. Absolutely. Awesome. Appreciate the information and the time, Tony. It's going to be interesting. I think the next 30 or 60 days, it, it, we're going to see with those inbound ocean shipments, the national truckload continuing to decrease. So we're going to have to keep a close eye on it. That does it for us here on With Sonar. Really appreciate you guys joining us. We'll be back at 3 p.m. next Wednesday for Global Supply Chain Week. Thanks and have a nice day. Mm-hmm.